this morning. Um, I know this is famous last words from a preacher, but I don't plan to hold you very long. I owe you 15 minutes from Wednesday night, so we're going to try to make some of that up. <coughs> Come with a very heavy heart this morning, very burdened for this service. And to be honest with you, to be point blank honest, sometimes God will speak to my spirit and say, this is for so-and-so today, I have no clue, but it's for somebody. I want to preach to you from a scripture text this morning that all of us can quote. Psalm 23 and verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That word want actually means lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. I won't lack anything, I won't be without anything. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning, I shall not want, but sometimes I do. I shall not want, but sometimes I do. Father, we come to you today thankful for the Word of God that is an everlasting lamp to our feet and light to our path. And God, there are some people here today that's living on the very fragile side of life. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. But they are. The world can take its toll. Sin can take its toll hard sometimes not to be tempted and persuaded to do things with your life and to choose directions to go with your life. It's hard sometimes to say no to the appeal of the world, sin, and various other forces. As a matter of fact, you have commanded that we lay aside every weight and every sin that would cause us to There's people here today, Jesus, that shouldn't lack, but they do. I'm praying, God, that through this message, you'll reach them, that you'll touch them, and bring them back to a place of forgiveness, restoration. Let the Spirit of God work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I believe today, of course, I don't think I would be qualified as a minister not to believe this. I believe today that everything we desire should be under the canopy of God's will and God's blessing for our life. I don't think we should ever stray out from under the canopy of God's will for our life when we desire things, when we desire to do things when we desire to go places and what have you. I remember as a child, this is long before the days of the internet, Fred, and Google when you could pull things up, we had a big, thick Sears catalog. Does anybody remember two? That's what I thought. Let's have some honesty here. There's a long line of elderly people here today. I know who you are, and I know full good and well you have seen a Sears and Roebuck catalog. Okay. As a matter of fact, we were, in, we were invited one time by my fifth grade school teacher to bring my Sears and Roebuck catalog to school, and if you fold down 
the corner of one page and you make a 45-degree angle. If you do that all the way around, you can take a pipe cleaner and make some little wings and paint it silver and put a little styrofoam ball in the face and you have your Christmas angel. That's crafty right there, buddy. As a matter of fact, if your family was not blessed to get the Sears catalog and mail and have a subscription to Reader's Digest, you can do the same thing with the Reader's Digest. You can make you a Christmas angel. Y'all going to respond to me one way or the other here this morning for we end? You're welcome. <clears throat> but I remember looking through the Sears catalog and they always, every Christmas, and I became convinced they did this to aggravate me, to torment me, to torment my spirit, to provoke me to think sinful things. They put a go-kart in there. It was a two-seater. And I could imagine me and my friends riding around the neighborhood in that go-kart. It had a three-and-a-half horsepower engine on it, which means it would probably travel top speed of about four miles an hour, maybe. But I wanted that thing so bad. But it was not the will of my father, i.e. my daddy, for me to have that. It was, it was too dangerous, he said. So I wanted to ask him, but knowing that I'd probably get beat to the inch of my life, I didn't. But I wanted to ask him, have you ever owned one? No. So how do you know they're dangerous? Let me find out if they're dangerous or not. It never happened. But it taught me a lesson. And that lesson is simply this. That everything that I want from God, not need, but everything I want from God, I don't get that either. But today we're not here looking through a catalog, wishing and hoping for things, and neither are we asking our earthly father for things. I believe there are some folks here today that need to reopen your Bible. And instead of going through the Internet and Googling things that you think you need and want, instead of going to doctors and medicine and psychiatrists and counselors and what have you, you need to open your Bible and make you a wish list based on what it promises. Everybody say amen. So today we're not looking through an earthly catalog, but we're going to open our Bibles and we're going to pick out some things that we want and stop trying to figure out why we can't have it. I just illustrated to you through the conversion of Fred that God knows what we need even before we ask Him. And of all the things that we were busy doing over the past couple of months, God was working on her behalf, and she didn't even know it. No one knew it, what God was doing. Even the people from Denmark didn't know why they were coming here ultimately. But God knew. So God has your needs in mind. He knows what they are. And I want to encourage someone here today to pick up your Bible and start reading some of the over 6,000 promises in the Bible that God made to you and start living your life based on those instead of other things. And everybody shout amen. <clears throat> the Bible, and I want to take a moment, and JT, we're glad you're here today. Thank you for coming to help us. 
But up here I sound real, real loud. <coughs> if I sound loud to me, I know I sound loud to you. Because it's fixing to get louder here in just a minute. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, thank you. Jesus said over against the treasury, And behold how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites. Everybody say two mites, which make a farthing. And she called unto, and he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want or lack. She gave based on not what she had, but what she didn't have. The Bible said even all her living, her whole life, Everything she was, everything she had, everything about her, her identity, her future, her plans, her desire is what I'm reading Jesus saying in, in, in verse 44 when she cast in even all of her living. The Jewish mite, she gave two mites. The Jewish mite was the same as the Roman lepton. It was the smallest coin of least value in their monetary system of that day. The mite represented about six minutes of a day's wage. In other words, if you worked for someone for about six minutes, you would be paid one mite. So this woman gave about 12 minutes of a day's wage. She didn't even give an hour, an hourly wage. About 12 minutes is all she had to give. And if you'll allow me to add this note, she gave two of them so that we might could understand both sides of her story. There are several things that I want to just say in passing here this morning that I want to point out to you from this New Testament story. The Bible indicates that the treasury at church at that time seemed to be full and was getting fuller. There are folks here today that hold back on what and how much you give. The biggest part of your reasoning is because the church treasury is full and the church don't need it. We want to make sure that the church don't have too much money. But I believe there's people here today who give, who would give far more generously if you didn't think that the church needed it, if you could reverse your thinking. The second reason that people have issues with giving is because you've been hurt by someone somewhere, a preacher, a church, whatever it is, and you're withholding your giving to somehow punish the church or more specifically the pastor. I want to encourage you to carefully examine your attitude and perspective about that. Why do I ask you to do that? Because as it was in the case with this woman, so it is also the case with you and I today, Jesus is in this room 
and he sees how much you give and the attitude in which you give it. He also sees your bank account. I just wanted to mention that today in passing. I do agree that we should take the more of a honeycomb approach in our giving than we do the flint and the sponge. And everybody said amen. Praise the Lord. But with all of that being said, let me get to my point. The widow in this story gave, not because she felt like the church or the temple needed it. She wasn't giving because she had some formula in her head that dictated how much I give in proportion to, number one, how much I think the church needs, number two, the size of my bank account. That wasn't why she was giving. She didn't give because she wanted to be noticed or recognized or to get a pat on the back. Neither was she trying to outgive anybody. She gave. Everybody say, she gave. She gave. She gave everything. She gave everything she had. Not because she had a lot to give, but she gave based on what she didn't have. She gave out of what she didn't have. She gave out of her lack. She gave based on her need. She gave based on her want. I know that I shall not want, the psalmist said. The Lord is my shepherd, we say. I shall not want or lack. But sometimes, if you're honest, we will all have to admit that we do. And let me present to you this morning, Grace Church, that it is oftentimes in our greatest moment of lack, in our greatest times of need, that we should give the most. Because it is when we are giving of ourselves the most that God can bless us the most. Jesus said, if you give, it shall be given back to you in good measure, running over. That's the way God works. So there's people here today that will forthrightly say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my guide. The Lord is in whom I trust. Jesus is my best friend. Jesus is the one that I serve. You get the point. And it seems like nowadays, especially here in America, everybody's a Christian. I'm a Christian. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my God. He's my king. He's the one that I worship. And I know that I shouldn't lack anything. I know that my life should be complete as it is because he is my shepherd. But I've done things. I've said things. I've been places. I've lived in ways that has left me in want, that has left me fallen short of what my shepherd can provide for me. I want you to notice today in Mark chapter 7 and verse 24, the Bible said, And from thence he, Jesus, arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would have, would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. <laughs> when people are in want, they find Jesus. 
Fred, I'm going to ride this way for a long time, girl. But she came from Denmark to a little place in Pineville, Louisiana, to find him. When people want him, he makes sure they find him. Verse 25, for a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek or a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. In other words, there's a priority system that I live by. There's a code, if you will, that I live by. The children he spoke of, yes, they were little children, but it was also talking about the people of Israel. This woman was a Gentile, not a Jew. She didn't have any claim on him, and he had no claim on her. He had no reason whatsoever, according to the purpose for which he had been sent at that time, to do anything for her. The Bible is very clear. So Jesus said, I really don't care if you lack or not. I really don't care if you have need or not. My purpose is to another nation of people that don't include you. So I'm going to see to it that my people are filled. I'm going to make sure to it that the Jewish people have their lack or want taken care of. I'm going to make sure that they're ministered to. So, sorry, lady. I know you've come here with a great need today, but I can't help you. She looked him right square in the eye and said, You know what? You're right. Everything you said is right. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, I realize that I have no right to be here. I realize that I'm not under the canopy of your promise. I realize, Jesus, I get everything you're saying. I'm not offended, by the way. It's the law. It's how we operate. It's how our world is structured. It's how our religious world is structured. That you can only accept certain people into your church. You're right. And I'm not asking for the children's bread. I'm not asking you to give me anything that you're going to give them. I'm not asking you for theirs. I'm not asking you to deprive them or deplete them. But I am telling you this. And this is what I know because I've seen it. When your Jewish people are eating their bread, crumbs fall to the floor. And those stray mangy dogs that nobody claims that nobody wants that's nobody's pet they lick up the crumbs and the master of the house allows it i don't know what you do with an answer like that i don't know exactly how to answer it as a matter of fact I'm not sure Jesus did either, but this is what he said. He said unto her, for this saying, based on what you just told me, go thy way. The devil has gone out of thy daughter. That's all he said. 
I understand today that we've just had an awesome time of worship and the presence of God was running rampant through this building. But I also understand today that everybody here today didn't feel quite up to par, if you will. I'm not trying to be judgmental, and I'm not trying to point anybody out. All I know is what the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. There's people here today that deep down on the inside of you have said, I would to God that I could find a church, that I could go to a church somewhere where I could lift up my hands and worship Him, and I don't have to worry about being judged by somebody on the other side of the aisle. I don't have to worry about what my spouse thinks, my ex-spouse thinks. I don't have to worry about what my kids think, what my parents think. I just, I'm talking to somebody right now. I just want to be able to go to a church and lift up my hands, and I can cry big old tears, or I can put a big smile on my face. I want to tell you today with everything that's in me, you found one. You found one, man. You may have come in today feeling like you really don't fit and you really don't count and you don't feel like you have a lot of value, but at Grace Church you do because at Grace Church everybody eats from the table and we don't take from one to give to the other for my Father in heaven owns a cattle of a thousand hills and he is full of abundance that he will pour out spirit and blessing on you today. Heard it more than once. The people say, well, I've been to XYZ denomination and I've been to XYZ church. Let me bring it closer to home, as I oftentimes do. I've even been to Pentecostal churches. There's people sitting here this morning that are part of grace that's been to Pentecostal churches. And because of permanent ink on my body, I have not been welcomed at XYZ Church. And because I've done this and done that, and I've been through a divorce, and I've been through this, and I've been through that, I'm just not welcome there anymore. I want to tell you one thing. I don't have the answer for all of that. I don't have the answer for all of that either. But all I can tell you is when you come face to face with Jesus, I'm just going to repeat what he said. Go thy way. Go thy way. I've heard everything you said, and so has he. And you can walk away knowing that you have a relationship with Jesus that's real, that works, that's powerful, that's life-saving, that's life-changing. Welcome to grace. Welcome to his grace. I know the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want, but sometimes I do. woman didn't come to Jesus because she was full and had a lot of talent and ability and a big huge bank account she wanted to bless this ministry with that ain't why she came she didn't came because she drove up in a fine car and lived in a fine home and she was a top executive whatever of her company she didn't do that that ain't why she came she came to give she came to give But she didn't come to give because she headed to give. She came to give what she didn't have. I don't know if you're getting my point here today. But I've heard people say it all of my life. 
I'm going to have to get good before I can get God. That's not how God works. You come just like you are. Thank God he's got you. You come just like you are. I regret it, but people say often, I'd like to go visit Grace Church, but i got to dress a certain way. No, you don't. I thought I'd get more than like two amens on that. I thought our church was more on board with me than that. Well, i got to wear this and wear that. You can come through those doors. We ask that you be modest. We don't want you to be a distraction to the opposite sex. I think that's fair. I do, especially in church. I like for our church members to be modest. We talked about that Wednesday night. You can go listen to it on your, on our, uh, our app, our church app. Anyway, but you can come like you want. Jesus told a parable, and we're all of us are familiar with it. In Luke chapter fifteen, he said, "A certain man had two sons." The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together, took all of his stuff, packed up, took a journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. We spent all that he had, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. He started lacking some stuff i.e. food. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells in the parable that he ended up in a hog pen, literally feeding the pigs is where it started, but then he started sharing their meal with them. I don't know that anybody in this building can legitimately get your head around that. That you are so hungry that you're going to eat pig slop so you can make it to the next day. You know the story. After he did his thing, his life was in shambles. He was in a total wreck. He began to be in want or lack, and he started thinking about home. He thought about his dad. He thought about home as it was when he left it. He even thought about his brother. And knowing his brother as Jesus depicted him to even start thinking nice things about his brother, he was pretty desperate. He even began to think about his father's servants. As a matter of fact, he told his dad a little while later in the parable that even the servants have more to eat than I do. What I want you folks to understand today, and this is what I've come to preach. When he came to himself, the Bible said, Jesus tells in the story. When he came back to himself. When he realized that he was really lacking man and life was awful. Terrible. No happiness. No peace. No security. No hope of tomorrow being one ounce better than today. He said to himself, I'm going to return to my father's house. 
Now, those of you that are familiar with the story, and I'm sure most of you are, the Bible tells very clearly that his dad would wait for him and watch for him every day to stand out on the porch and watch to see if my son's coming home. Well, I want you to get your head around today, and I even thought about having someone dress up to play the part so you could see it. But I want you to understand, the son that left home was not the son coming back. The son that left home that day was rich and cocky and arrogant. And I've got my life figured out, and I know where I'm going, and I know what I'm doing, and I don't need dad, and I don't need the preacher, and I don't need the church, and I don't, I don't need these things. I've, I've got my life put together, and I have now the funding to finance my life's dreams. And so he did. So when his dad saw him coming, it wasn't the same kid that left home. Y'all get that? It was dirty work. May I illustrate here this morning, if y'all will bear with me, and if it offends anybody, forgive me. Brother Mike Simpson, just raise your hand so people can see you. There he is. His son Nathan's working back there in the media booth. He, he puts all the stuff on the screen. I just want to use them as an example, father and son for you today. He walks into his dad and says, I want half, whatever you're going to give me, I want it now. Now, back in those days, you could do it. So Brother Mike gives it to him. Here's this tall, handsome young man, college-educated, say that in all due respect. Got the world by the tail. Got everything going. Everything's looking up for Nate back there. His daddy's just given him a boatload of cash because Brother Mike has two boatloads of cash, and he just gave one to Nate. That's a joke, I know. But he gives him money, and a lot of it. And away Nathan goes. This is what's heartbreaking to me. And this is what I think we miss sometimes in this parable. And it's full of so many things that are so incredible. Brother Mike is going to remember the kid that left. He's going to remember that tall, strapping young man. That handsome man, full of talent, full of potential. Has a good education. And I'm yes, I'm disappointed that you're leaving. But man, I hope you do okay. Some space of time passes. Brother Mike's heart's broken, hoping that any day his son's going to come back home. And one day he sees him coming down the street, but it's not the kid that left. And that's what I want you to understand. I believe that only Daddy would recognize him. Jesus didn't mention a mother in this case, and I don't know why, and it don't matter. Well, it does matter, but you can get the point anyway. But Daddy was standing out there, and the person coming down the street, probably no one recognized. He was filthy dirty. He stunk unbelievable. He's just come out of a pigsty. Do you all get that? I don't know if you've ever been around him. And you don't have to get close. Trust me. It's bad. It's horrible. This is where the kid has been living. He's filthy dirty. He reeks. He's reeking of a god-awful odor. 
His cheeks are sunken. His eyes have lost that spark. But to the daddy, it's his son. Doesn't matter where he's been and what he's done. It's his son. Now, to me, knowing me, knowing Glenn Murphy, and I have a feeling that a lot of you fellows would probably feel the same way. I, I think you would. But if I was going back home in that shape, I'd be too embarrassed. Home is probably the last place I'd want to go to. Home is, uh, I'm not going to fit there anymore. I know my brother hates my guts. I want to tell you folks here this morning, let me say in passing, I had a runaway brother when I was a young teenager. Ran away from home two or three times, and he'd come back, and he'd scrape on the window, and I'd get up and let him in. And my mother and dad would be in a panic while he was gone and what have you. In all of those cases that my own brother ran away from home, I would watch my sweet mother walk over to him and his hardcore, bent out of shape, rebellious, disgusting attitude. He only came home because he had to. He realized if he's going to get clothes and a drink of water and something to eat, he better come home to do it. He had no money, no job, and nowhere to go. And I watched my sweet mother walk and fall over all over him and weep and sob and say, I love you, son. I'll always love you. You're always welcomed at home. And I'm sitting there in my little 13-year-old mind saying, I can't stand him. I think he's the devil to live with. He ain't beat you up, lady. Lately, he hasn't forced you to eat grass and salt and pepper and all that stuff. Get rid of him. He's useless. He's not worth anything. But not mama. She said, I love you. And you can come home anytime. I'm doing my best to illustrate here today to somebody. You've been on a long ride away from God. It's been a long journey, and only God knows what you've been through. But there's a little characteristic about God that's called grace, and he's waited for you a long time. He's looked for you a long time, and here you are. Oh, my. Here you are. What are you going to do with it? And Jesus has seen you now. He knows that you're on his street. And you're in his house. And as much, and I can tell you today with conviction, that as much as God has directed and orchestrated events in Frederica's life, He's doing the same thing for you. I can promise you right now that God has seen to it that certain people start attending Grace Church so you could. So you would have an invitation. Don't tell me God don't do that. Yes, He does. I, I can look around the building right now and probably pick out a half a dozen families. You're here right now because God some brought somebody here ahead of you and He prepared the way for you and and we got used to them and got to know them. So when you come in, it feels like we know you. But here's the problem. You don't always feel like that little dressed up pretty Pentecostal Christian. You're not the person that left. The person that came that's here today isn't the person that left years ago 
a matter of fact, if I could say in all due respect, there's less of you here today than there was yesterday. And you come here today to give. I believe there's people here right now that's really thinking about that I want to give to God my life what's left of it. Because when I was here or when I was in church before, I had so much going for me, man. I was faithful. I served God. I lived for God. I had talent. I had ability. I was involved in this department and that department, and I did this and I did that, and I helped these people and I helped those people. Now, after an excursion into the world and even sin, there's not, you just don't feel like there's that much left for what little you have. It might only be two mites worth of life. I want to give it to you. That's all I want. I know that the Word of God is talking to somebody right now. The songwriter said a number of years ago, are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? Are you tired of spinning round and round? Wrap up all the shattered dreams of your life and at the feet of Jesus, lay them down. He wrote, shattered dreams, wounded hearts. You see, you weren't always in that shape. There was a time when living in your father's house that in the context of the story of the prodigal son, when you was living at home with dad, the Lord was your shepherd. And you didn't want anything, but now it's not quite that way. I shook hands with someone a little while ago. have no memory of meeting them before. don't know anything about their life, but when I looked into their eyes, I could see a prodigal. That there was a time when the Lord was your shepherd and you didn't want you didn't lack anything. But now life is full of voids and holes, a lot of disillusionment, a lot of unhappiness, and a lot of despair. Welcome to grace. One of the most odd and strange songwriters, and I say this in all due respect, that I've ever heard in my life, his name is Gary S. Paxton. He's well older than I am. Wrote some crazy sounding songs that probably nobody here would even really like. Christian songs. But he wrote one. It was an illustration of his own life because Gary had always introduced himself. Hi, my name is Gary S. Paxton. Don't forget the S. That's one third of my whole name. Middle name was Sanford. Gary spent all of his life chasing drugs, alcohol, women, rock and roll. When his life was finally in shambles, 
He found a Christian experience with Jesus somewhere, somehow. Grew up in the Midwest. He wrote a song, and a lot of you have heard it. It simply says, time after time, I went searching for peace in some void. I was trying to blame all my ills on this world I was in. Surface relationships used me till I was done in. But all the while, someone was begging to free me from sin. He was there all the time. Waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. So Gary concluded in the second verse of his song, Never again will I search for a fake rainbow's end. Now that I've found the answer, my life is just starting to rhyme. Sharing each new day with Him is a breath of fresh life. Oh, what a miss. He's been waiting there all the time. You'll stand with me this morning. I understand what I'm preaching and I understand what I'm feeling right now, but there's somebody here this morning that Maybe you decided that God really wasn't worth it and maybe you got hurt real bad. I don't know what happened to you. But you took off out into the world, out into sin and decided, I'm going to live it up, telling God goodbye. And now, however many years later, and for somebody it's been a bunch, for however many years later you've decided, I'm going back. I'm going to check church out. I'm going to go visit. I'm going to go see what it's about. I've been invited over and over and I'm tired of people bugging me so I'm just going to go on and go and, but deep down inside ladies and gentlemen I have a brother that quit serving God in the late 60's late 60's but in the past couple of years every time I'm with him he brings up the end time he brings up scripture he reminded me not too long ago that there was truly one God he even reminded me about repentance in Jesus name baptism I know it's still in him and deep down on the inside of him. He wants to. And there's a whole lot less of him now than then. But you know what? When you come to the temple, whatever you put in it, God will take it. He'll take it. You'd never have to worry about feeling inferior. And, but preacher, you don't know where I've been and what I've done and you don't know who I've been with and you don't know about my marriage and you don't know about my kids and you don't know about my life. But I'm here to tell you, whatever you come to give, He'll take it. It might be two mites. It might be six minutes out of a day's wage. It don't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how broken, how tragic, how sad, how hurtful. It doesn't matter how long your story is. doesn't matter what your life has been like. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It really don't matter even who did it. doesn't matter in God's economy. Because when you come to His temple, He's there. And He will take whatever you give Him. It doesn't matter. Just give Him you and what's left of it. Jesus, today I'm asking 
your presence to manifest itself like you did a few minutes earlier in the service. There's a backslider here today, I know that. There's people here today that used to lift up hands and worship and tears that streamed down their face, but something happened. And they walked away. But you've opened the door. You've set before them an open door, and God, they're on your street. You've waited for this moment a long time. God, if you can speak to three women sitting down at a computer trying to find airline tickets from Denmark to be in service in Pineville, Louisiana, oh, God, what have you done that we don't know to bring these people here today? How have you worked? What, have, what dreams have they had? What have their thoughts been like lately? God, I believe you're working overtime right now. And here they are. And I trust and pray as a mouthpiece for the kingdom today that I've done my part to present to them a God-loving, God-forgiving, a grace-filled message. I hope they understand that it doesn't matter how much of them is left, how much the devil has taken away, how much sin has cheated them out of. It may only be two mites. It might be all that's left of their life. But you'll take it. Speak to us right now, Jesus. I want you folks to think about this for a few moments. Think about what you've just heard. Lady... You know where you need to be. Sir, you know life ain't working. I know there's always that little pride element in Americans. They don't want to admit nothing. But God knows. He's been setting. The Bible said in this story of the, the widow woman that brought two mites, and he was sitting against the wall, propped up against the wall. Uh, he's probably sitting back there in that corner right behind you. He could be right over here, right by the door. He's watched you go in and out. Wait to see what you do. If you'll take what's left of your life and bring it to him. Just bring it to him. I realize that you're looking at people here today who looks reasonably happy and they're dressed nice and it looks like everything's going their way and I just don't really feel like I fit here today. You know, the treasury, I've been hearing it ringing. The coins are just, people are full and they have so much to give and here I am. They ain't much of me, but you're welcome. I can't get the point across. I just can't. It doesn't matter how old, how long. It doesn't matter. God just wants you to give him what's left of your life. So as they begin to sing softly as our custom is here on Sunday morning, and due to the nature of this service, I will ask everybody to participate. I'm not going to embarrass you. We don't put people on the spot. But as they begin to sing, I want everybody to come up around the front. Just come stand around the front. Pastor staff is going to help me.